Hi, friend. Thank you so much for downloading this podcast. And it is my sincere hope you'll hear something that will encourage, edify, equip, and then get you out into the marketplace of ideas. But before you listen, I'm going to tell you about this month's Truth Tool. My Truth Tool is offered to anyone who gives a financial gift to In the Market with Janet Parshall. And this month, I've chosen the book, Connecting the Dots, What God is Doing When Life Doesn't Make Sense. Ever been there? Of course you have. We all have been. Sometimes we think we're walking in circles, and we're wondering whether or not God has left us, we've walked away from Him, what in the world we're doing if we're even in the center of His will. So this book is designed to help you find peace and confidence in your current challenge. And all of us have challenges. It also will make sense of most of the lessons you're learning right now. And the most important part of this and why I felt this would be appropriate is because it will help clarify in your mind the unique mission and message that God has given to you. So the book is called Connecting the Dots. It's yours for a gift of any amount. And all you have to do is call 877-JANET-58. That's 877-JANET-58. And give a gift of any amount, and we'll send you a copy of Connecting the Dots. If you prefer to do it online, that's easy as well. In the market with JanetParshall.org. Scroll to the bottom of the page. There's the cover of the book. Click on through, make your gift, and again, we'll send you a copy of Connecting the Dots. Just below the picture of the book is a description of what it means to be a partial partner. Those are people who give every month a gift of their own choosing. They set the level of giving. I don't. But they'll always get the truth tool. And in addition to that, a weekly newsletter that goes out as well. So consider being a partial partner or getting a copy of Connecting the Dots by calling 877-JANET-58 or online at inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. Now please enjoy the program. Here are some of the news headlines we're watching. By the time the conference was over, the president won a pledge. So Americans worshiping government over God. An extremely next... rare safety move by a major... 17 years of Palestinians and Israelis Friends, welcome to In the Market with Janet Parshall. A very happy Friday to you. Mr. Craig Parshall is with me, as he's uh, wont to do every Friday. I love spending time with him on and off the air, but I love the fact that he comes to the table equipped with his Bible and his laptop, so he's ready to contribute. And he also brings huge acumen in the law, and he understands the Word of God. And that's really what Fridays are all about, applying the Word to the world around us. So what we do Excuse me, as we take a look at all the stories making headlines, and if you could see Craig's in my desk right now, the stories are stacked. I wish I could tell you that we just have to look under every rock to try to find some story that would apply the word to the world around us, but it is a overflowing of information that we've got, so we're going to get right to it. And uh, the way we do it is we take a look at these stories, and then Craig and I break them down and talk about the application of the word to the world around us. And I got to tell you, this is an exciting time to live because there's no shortage of examples to do this. The light of God's word is illuminating a dark world like never before. And we are certainly in the latter days. I don't know where we are in terms of Jesus's return. I would love for him to come before supper. Even so, come Lord Jesus. But we have to look at our watch and see what it says in Matthew 24. And you look at those signs and you realize that there isn't a single prophecy left to be fulfilled before Jesus comes and takes us, his second coming of where he were raptured out of the world. So that's pretty exciting, number one. Number two, we were told that before that happens, and nobody knows the hour of the day, not even the son, only the father knows, but it's going to be like a thief in the night. It's just going to happen, boom, and all of a sudden, can you imagine the headlines in the Washington Post, the Chicago Tribune, the New York Times, the L.A. Times, 
when millions and millions of people just vanish. It's going to be pretty neat. Going to make every movie, every book ever written about this pale by comparison. But we are told to look out for some signs. And one of those signs is the rise of apostasy. So Craig and I are going to give you some examples of apostasy this hour. You don't have to make that up either. And I wish I could tell you we had to look high and low to find it. It's everywhere. And one of those things Matthew 24 says is going to happen is a rise in these kinds of false teachers. And you know what? That's great. Bring it on. The Bible says we expose the deeds of darkness, so we're going to lay it out. We're going to drop the straight stick of truth, as Dwight L. Moody called the Word of God, right next to it, and we're going to measure crooked ideas. But we're going to start with a great idea. So we have chaplains <coughs> excuse me, for the House and for the Senate. Uh, Admiral Barry Black has been in this program many times. He is the chaplain of the U.S. Senate, and then we have a chaplain in the House as well. And just like last week, if you listen, there was a Satanist that came and offered an invocation, note the air quotes around that word, uh, for a commissioner meeting in California. And it was ludicrous and ridiculous, and we had a good discussion about that. You can go back to our audio archives to listen to it if you like. But it is not uncommon for governmental bodies to have a rotating roster of pastors who come and offer invocations. Well, that happened on the Hill. Yeah, just happened on the Hill. And it was, interestingly, Reverend Jack Hibbs, who we just had on this program. He's the author of Living in the Days, D-A-Z-E, of Confusion. Fabulous conversation. Loved the book. Recommend it to you all. He is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills in Chino, California. So I have the audio. I want you to hear his prayer exactly as it was stated at the U.S. House of Representatives, and this was his prayer. Have a listen. The House will be in order. The prayer will be offered by the guest chaplain, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, Chino, California. Let's pray. Almighty God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, together we come before you in humility as a people in need of your forgiveness, your mercy, your goodness, and your grace. For these 250-so years, our fathers in this Congress have prayed for your guidance and protection. And so we stand here in humble petition that you today might do the same, that this nation and its unparalleled constitution, your great gift to all freedom-loving people, might be renewed here and across this land as a beacon of hope to all who seek peace. I ask you today, Father, to bring to us a great awakening of righteousness and confidence in you, who alone is mighty to save. Hear my cry in this hour of great need that we might be humbly blessed before you in the repentance of our national sins. You, almighty God, are the source of all wisdom and there is no wisdom but that which comes from you. So please come upon those here who are the stewards over the business of our nation with your wisdom which comes from above and with your holy fear knowing that your coming day of judgment draws near when all who have been and are now in authority will answer to you, the great judge of heaven and of earth for the decisions that they make here in this place. I offer this prayer to you, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, and our crucified Savior and resurrected Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
And amen. amen. Now, that prayer was delivered January 30th. That's this week at the House of Representatives. Craig, a two-second response. Anything in there that you think was violative, horrible, <laughs> earth-shaking, terrible? He was absolutely in line with Scripture. He talked about the need of God's grace and forgiveness. He talked about praying for an awakening of righteousness. He talked about all of us, um, all uh, uh, all that we have been given in God's name, and then talked about all in authority, which is biblical, will answer to you. Your thoughts. One of the very first acts of the very first Congress after the ratification of the Constitution that created a Congress and an executive branch and a judicial branch, the three branches of government, the, one of the very first acts was to approve the salary of a chaplain for the United States Congress. So in terms of history, this is certainly in line with what the founders intended. And they also, by the way, knew that there was going to be a religious freedom amendment to that Constitution. Um, and uh, they didn't see any problem with having a chaplain uh, very involved in the workings of Congress. And then the chaplain can appoint guest prayers, as in this case. Or, or a member of Congress can sponsor. Or a member of Congress. Right. Three things he said that were great. The wisdom of God, a holy fear of God, and the fact that Jesus, his son, was the resurrected and is the resurrected Savior. Wow. Fabulous, wasn't it? I mean, right in line with scripture, appropriate within the constitutional parameters. Now, of course, you didn't think this caused any kerfuffle on Capitol Hill. Uh, I will Uh bet it did. You want to stay tuned? We'll tell you about it right after this. God's work in your life has prepared you with a unique message to share and a problem to solve. That truth is why I've chosen Connecting the Dots as this month's truth tool. God uses you to point to His goodness and to give you meaning and purpose. Ask for your copy of Connecting the Dots when you give a gift of any amount to In the Market. Call 877-JANET-58, that's 877-JANET-58, or go to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. This is In the Market with Janet Parshall. First, a correction. I have a wonderful team. They pointed out I keep blundering on the title of Jack's book. And I I keep saying it's the days, D-A-Z-E. I'm so riveted on that that I get the word wrong. It is the days of deception. I keep calling it the days of confusion, not to be confused with the Phil Collins song, but that's a whole other conversation. It is the days of deception. Fabulous book. I would recommend it. In fact, in my classroom, you could say it out loud. It would be required reading. So again, a member of the House can ask for a pastor to come up, and that's part of the rules of the House, and give the invocation. In this case, it was the Speaker himself. And it doesn't surprise me that Mike Johnson would pick somebody like Jack Hibbs, because I think their worldview is very much in alignment. And he probably also knew that Pastor Hibbs was not going to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've shared with you before quickly that Franklin Graham was told when he prayed at an inauguration, don't you dare pray in Jesus' name. Don't you dare pray in Jesus' name. Right, right. Tell Graham that they're not going to pray out loud in Jesus' name. So, of course, they did, and boom, it was ink to paper for the Washington Post, and they vivisected Franklin Graham for using Jesus' name. Hey, yeah, that's... That's baby persecution, if it's that at all, okay? It's just outright bigotry and discrimination, but it might be a precursor to persecution someday, so we're just going to have to be prepared for that. We in the West really don't know much about that. We have brothers and sisters around the globe who are suffering greatly because they were unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Jack Hibbs gives that prayer. You just heard it absolutely within the banks of sound doctrine 
absolutely constitutionally correct, absolutely constitutionally right, and boom, it didn't take two nanoseconds, Mr. Partial, for the theophobes or Christophobes, if you want to be more specific, uh, to immediately jump up and down and go crazy. So Media Matters, which is a far-left organization, it's um, operatic for uh, left-wing politics, and they use the media to denigrate anybody who stands in opposition to the juggernaut of the agenda they're trying to advance. I get it. I'm an all-comers all colors person in the marketplace. Have at it. But it doesn't mean that we're not going to talk about what they did. So they wrote a piece, and here's the headline. Mike Johnson invited a Christian nationalist media figure to serve as the House of Representatives guest chaplain. That's why I don't even take up discussion on Christian nationalism. It's a cudgel being used by the left, and it's similar in the law to say to someone, how long has it been since you stopped beating your wife? I'm not going on the defensive on this. It is a tertiary argument. It is a straw man argument. And I'm sorry to say that some in the church have bit on this like a dog in a bone and think that we have to offer a defense. I, I give you Augustine, okay, the city of God, the city of man. I have dual citizenship right now. I'm preparing for the one and living in this world like I represent the other. It's just that simple. But moving on, they talk about how awful this guy is and uh, how, in fact, here's what it says. Per the Office of the House Chaplain's official website, guest chaplains are recommended by the members of Congress. And hosting guest chaplains is a, quote, wonderful opportunity to affirm pastoral leaders from many different backgrounds. And that's true. There have been multiple denominations and religions that have been represented by the people who have offered that opening prayer to a session of the House. But then they had to go on and they talk about his media appearances. They talk about what they presume to be Jack Hibbs's political affiliation and what candidate he supported. And I don't care who he supported. It's America. This guy's allowed to support any candidate, just like Media Matters is allowed to support any candidate they want to. But for Media Matters, this wasn't the candidate that they liked, so naturally it became a point of contention. Um, he's, uh, they say that he's openly supported, quote, right-wing candidates and campaigned against LGBTQ inclusion in public schools. And he frequently, watch this, Craig, warns followers of the coming Antichrist. Yes, Jack Hibbs alone is the only one who's ever warned about the Antichrist, <laughs> right? The only yes. one under under heaven. Uh, so then that wasn't enough. And then I give you LGBTQ nation. Where do you think they stood on this? And so their headline reads, Mike Johnson invited an anti-LGBTQ plus hate preacher to give opening prayer in Congress. And then, of course, their diatribe, and they really used Hibbs as a springboard to go after Mike Johnson. Hibbs, they figure, is a come and go, and I'm not going to worry about it. Johnson is, is, is the head of the House of Representatives at this point in his speaker's position. So they're going to vivisect him by a thousand Defam- cuts. Defamation by association. That, 100%. 100%. Right. So I, I, I smile when I say this because there's nothing new under the sun, as the writer of Ecclesiastes said. So a born-again, Bible-believing pastor comes in, gives a prayer that is absolutely within the parameters of Scripture, and just like that, he's called a Christian nationalist and a hater. Teach us, Craig, because I want our friends, when they hear these kinds of stories, to get bolder and stronger and braver, not to cower and retreat. Well, first of all, you have to know the game that's being played. And I call it a game because there's gamesmanship, but it's a very serious game in Washington, D.C. And it's always been a political city. And frankly, the Congress is populated uh, by members who are elected uh, in the House of Representatives by their district, a smaller section of the state. But uh, the U.S. Senate is uh, elected by the state uh, in its entirety, two, uh, two senators for each state. 
Um, but they're all subject to election by the people. Now, Media Matters is not. It's a private advocacy organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've done quite a bit of work over the last couple decades with uh, communication law in Washington, D.C., and Media Matters has media as its first name. Well, media does matter, uh, hence uh, in the market with Janet Parshall um, and uh, the importance of your radio platform, Janet. But there's something else that matters, and that is worldview. I know something about Media Matters worldview, and it colors, if not pollutes, everything they touch and say, and write in this case, uh, about what goes on in America, what goes on in politics, what goes on in Washington, what goes on on Capitol Hill, and so forth and so on. That's why it is so essential that we uh, objectively and calmly and without hate. You see, Janet, I have to tell you, since many, 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 many decades ago, when I became a Christian, having put my faith in Jesus Christ and the work he did on the cross, and he entered my life and saved me, I have to tell you, I've met a, a host of Christians and Christian leaders, and, and I have to tell you, very scant evidence of hate there. <laughs> so I think it's that they hate what we have to say, including Pastor Hibbs. Right. When the tone is even perfect, it's immaterial. It is the content. And none of that should surprise us. The Word of God is a sword. It ends up dividing people. Now we want to pray for unity, but that unity is only found. It's not unity for unity's sake. That's a shallow shallow idea. It is unity in Jesus Christ. We're going to take a break. Come right back. So this is where the discernment comes from. And we've had some wonderful conversations this week about the necessity of believers in these latter days to really develop and sharpen that sense of discernment. And that only comes by being immersed in God's word. It's the stuff you've heard since you were knee high to a grasshopper. And, you know, some advice is so good, it's eternal. And getting immersed in the word of God is a mandate in these crazy days of deception. There, I said Jack Hibbs title correctly. All right. So if you speak truth, if you pray in Jesus's name, if your prayer resides within the parameters of biblical truth, you are going to be called, according to the two examples I gave you, and by the way, I could have given you more, but I just gave you those two, you're a hater and you're a Christian nationalist. Okay, let's flip this around a little bit. Now, because we were told in Matthew 24 that we're going to see a rise in apostasy, and also we're going to see here more and more heretical teachers. How are we going to discern that that's apostasy, that's heretical, if you don't have, and let me give credit where credit is due again, that Dwight L. Moody perspective that the Word of God is the straight stick of truth. What's your metric to measure crooked ideas? So let me give you a couple of crooked ideas, all right? This is a female pastor from the uh, Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, the ELCA, and she uh, had this to say regarding Paul and something in the book of Corinthians. Have a listen. Father Ken already introduced me a little bit, but I just wanted to say hi and say thank you. My name is Pastor L. I use pronouns like she or they. I'm a campus minister in Chicago for a joint Lutheran Episcopal campus ministry downtown on the Loop, where I also pastor to a group of unhoused folks. Um, Before we get started, I wanted to just name something too uh, from the reading from Corinthians. You might have noticed that we didn't read one part out loud, and that's because it's yikes. So, um... Putting that reading in original context, um, 
Paul himself uh, was a Jewish man, right? And so there were sort of inter-Jewish conversations and disagreements about the role of Jesus and what that means. Uh, But really, in this letter to the Corinthians, Paul's being kind of a jerk, both about Jewish people and about the Greeks. And even more important than his original intent is the way that verses like that have been used throughout the ages to harm our Jewish siblings. And so we wanted to just sort of name that right out, even before we got started with anything else, um, and to kind of put that before us as something, particularly those of us gathered here who are Christians, the way that we can look at the way our traditions, the way that our scriptures have been used to harm our siblings and to be accountable for that. So thank you. Okay. Where do you start? Paul's a jerk. Let's start there. Or yikes. I'm sure that's a very theological term. It's a yikes passage. So Paul, let's start with Paul. Paul is not only a Jew, he's a Roman citizen. And when you decide that you're going to skip and jump and hop over passages of Scripture because they make you uncomfortable, that probably is more reflection of the conviction of the Holy Spirit than it is bad Bible. Or um, or it's your eisegesis as opposed to solid exegesis, where you let this text speak for itself. So he was a Jewish man, and she wants to somehow embrace the Jewish brothers and sisters. Let me tell you how much Paul embraced the Jewish brothers and sisters. Where did he go on his three missionary trips? Where did Paul go first every single time? To the synagogue. And then what did he do? Then he went to the Gentiles, which is a broad term that means not just the Greeks, but anyone who wasn't a Jew. But it was always, as the scriptures remind us, to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. So I think you'd be hard pressed to say that somehow he was putting off his Jewish brothers and sisters because A, he was himself a Jewish man and B, he went to the Jews first. And what did he do to the Jews? He taught them the law. What did he do to the Gentiles? He taught them the prophets. So can you break this down for me? Because I think what we've got was sloppy eyes to Jesus predicated on personal opinion as opposed to solid interpretation of scripture. Uh, t- yeah, heresy, which is what you just heard, and that's a perfect example. Uh, that's why audio on this program is so educational, because there's nothing like hearing the words from the speaker and then identifying the person who identifies herself as a religious leader, as a person who is a Christian leader, and in fact has some area of influence um, in the city, uh, spiritually. Uh, I think that uh, this has to be broached. So let me start, first of all, with the Word of God. If you're a Christian leader, then the guidebook, the metric, the yardstick has to be the Word of God. If you handle it sloppily or maliciously, then you're disqualified because you don't know the truth and you can't explicate the truth because you don't know the truth. Now, let me talk about Paul for a minute. Uh, I think you gave a great introduction. You know, he calls himself basically a Jew's Jew. He was part of the Sanhedrin elite in Jerusalem. He was a learned man. He was a brilliant Jewish scholar before he came to a knowledge of Jesus Christ and had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. So those are his credentials, and he uses them from time to time in the New Testament in his letters, not to brag, but to remind those who have come from the same background, I am one of you. So I'm not against you. I'm actually for you. And it's proof that that what the audio that we just heard um, is ridiculously off base are the chapters of 9, 10, and 11 of Romans also penned by the Apostle Paul. 
they are almost exclusively talking about Israel and the Israelites and God's love for them and his love for them to the point where he says, I would rather have me condemned before God and have them saved than vice versa. Now, of course, that's not how God operates, but that is his heart for them. So in terms of his being a jerk, that's the first problem. There's a second problem, perhaps even more important. And we'll get to that when we return. We've got some more audio for you. This is Learning to Discern in These Latter Days, where the Word tells us itself. You're going to see more and more apostasy, and you're going to hear more and more heresy. How then shall we live, said Dr. Francis Schaeffer? Easy. You get immersed in the Word of God. That's your metric. You measure all crooked ideas by the straight stick of His truth. Back after this. We live in a culture that's infatuated with the latest fads, but Ephesians 4.15 calls for us to be stable. No longer infants, Paul said, tossed about by the waves and carried around by every wind of teaching. On In the Market, we're exposing current trends and finding our balance by standing on the solid foundation of God's Word. To get exclusive behind-the-scenes information and benefits, become a partial partner. Call 877-JANET-58 or go online to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. So it's an interesting side-by-side comparison. You get Pastor Jack Hibbs, who is the senior pastor at Calvary Chapel Chino Hills in Chino, California. Uh, And uh, he gives a prayer that's within, just dead center in Scripture, dead center constitutionally allowable and protected, and he's a hater and he's a Christian nationalist. Okay, but then you have the antithesis of this, which is, all predicated on worldview, and it really is the way in which you approach the scriptures, whether or not you see it as not containing the word of God or like a buffet meal, you know, at some restaurant where you can uh, go to the booths and you can take as much food as you want. And most of the time you skip the veggies and you go for the desserts. And a lot of people take that same approach to scripture. I don't like this part. It's yikes. Tom Jefferson had that same problem. And if you went to Monticello, you can actually buy his version of the scripture. So he kits out the divine nature of Jesus. He eradicates the miracles because then Jesus became a savior that Thomas Jefferson could handle. He couldn't quite handle the divinity. The, the, the humanity part, I like. The divinity part, I don't. Nothing new under the sun. We see that now in the 21st century. So you just had this female pastor with the ELCA, the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, talking about a passage in Corinthians that she wouldn't read because it was, quote, yikes, and that, quote, Paul was being a jerk. So you were breaking this down, Craig, and you said you would talked about his Judaism and why his heart was for the Jews, by the way, right. because he goes and to the synagogues And his credentials was as a Jew, and not just a Jew, but a Jewish leader in Jerusalem. Taught by one of the most learned rabbis of the time, right? So he goes to the Jews first, and he uses the law as a way of talking about revealing who Jesus is. They can't keep the law, no matter how hard they try, whether they be Sadducee or Pharisee, they could not keep the law. And Paul is quietly reminding them, not only that, he he points out through his teachings how the law reveals the person of Jesus Christ. Then, on his missionary journeys, he starts going to the Gentiles, everyone outside the Jewish community, and there he uses the teaching of the prophets. You were going to make a second point about that. Right, and I think in addition and even more important than his credentials as a Jew, as a Jewish leader, as a Jewish scholar, and his love for the for the Jewish people and the Israelites and for Israel, uh, as expressed in Romans 9, 10, and 11. Uh, more, even more important than that is, as an apostle, uh, 
another apostle, a guy by the name of Peter, I think we know him, described the letters of Paul, i.e. the very Corinthians that this clergy person uh, that we just heard audio from was talking about. Uh, The Apostle Paul and his letters were deemed and described by the Apostle Peter as Scripture. In fact, if people want to look it up, it's in 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16. As other Scripture, he says, Paul's letters and blah, blah, blah. The point is he treated, as the early church did, the letters of Paul and the letters of Peter as Scripture, as God-inspired, as Holy Spirit-breathed, as opposed to mere opinions that you could pick and choose which ones you like and which ones you don't. Well, and by the way, on that note, again, nothing new under the sun. In fact, it's a hallmark of the times. We talked to uh, Elisa Childers earlier this week on her brand new book called The Deconstruction of Christianity. Again, a must read. And this a la carte approach to scripture is all part of the de- and I notice I use the word deconstruction in quotes around it. Again, I words are powerful and it's how we translate meaning. So uh, that's a wrong word for us to be using in the church. It's really somebody moving away for a myriad of reasons from orthodox Christianity and biblical truth. And if you if you want again a savior of your own construction, then you're going to end up with a tamed palpable Jesus that does what you want rather than you bow in submission to him. It's exactly the same approach to the word of God. You take that a la carte approach where I like this verse, I don't like it because it's a yikes, then that is personal interpretation. And you and I are not given the opportunity to decide I'm going to take part of it. You take all of it or you take none of it. That's what we've been offered. Well, I give you 2 Peter one twenty, And in one twenty, Peter says, look, a prophetic scripture as an example is not open to private interpretation. Mm-hmm. Be, in other words, well, I'm going to interpret the way I feel comfortable, the way I culturally think it ought to apply. I'll take the jerk and the yikes factor out when it feels icky. No, no, no. It, he makes it very clear. Peter does in uh, Second uh, Peter, uh, excuse me, Second Peter uh, one twenty that it's not open to private interpretation because it's been given to us through the intermediary of the apostles under the inspiration of Holy Spirit, meaning from God. Right. So if it's from God, then you turn to Titus as an example uh, that uh, tells us if you're going to be a teacher, and by the way, that audio was from a so-called teacher, okay, religious Christian so-called teacher. Uh, Paul says, again, Paul to Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So what is sound doctrine? It is what God has laid out in doctrinal form throughout his his New Testament, his Old Testament, through his apostles, through the gospels from begin from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And by the way, speaking of Revelation, the last chapter, we get a warning. You add anything to what this book has to say about what God's going to do, there's a problem. Yep. And you can read it. And if you subtract from what is in there, there's going to be a problem. So the Bible tells us out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So because these statements were made publicly here, we're going to share them publicly. And this same female pastor tells a story about her ordination. Have a listen. My name is Pastor L. Dowd. I use pronouns like she or they, and I'm an author, activist, and an ordained minister in the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, and also married to Pastor Adam. I'm also bisexual, and my path to ordination in this church 
was not always sure or clear. I grew up in a church with a narrow, oppressive sexual ethic, and I got the message loud and clear that who I was as a bisexual person was against God's divine will. When I questioned what I had been taught about sexuality in the church, I was told, God's word is clear. I was quoted proof texts from the law or pieces of Paul's letters. Hearing those verses, I thought maybe they were right. Maybe God's word is clear about what God thinks about people like me. And yet, at the same time I was learning more about my call to ministry, I was also learning more about myself and realizing what I had tried to suppress for years. Try, as I might deny it, I'm bisexual. And God's word is clear about what that means. I could never, ever be a pastor in the church that I loved so dearly. I spent many sleepless nights crying out to God in the dark, begging through tears for God to change me or to change the church. And my prayers were answered. God didn't make me straight. Thanks be to God. But God did transformative work in the ELCA. And in 2009, the ELCA Churchwide Assembly voted to give congregations the option to call LGBTQIA plus pastors like me. My home congregation voted to leave the ELCA over this. My vocal disagreement with their decision was enough for them to kick me out too. My identity as a bisexual femme meant that I did not fit easily into the church's boxes, and therefore, I was not easily controlled. I was a threat. My heart goes out to her because you could hear the struggle. Uh, the, the emotion in her voice, I think, was reflective of the struggle, which I don't think, by the way, is ended whatsoever. She clearly gives voice to the fact that she knows what the scripture says. So either, quote, she had to change or this organized religion had to change. It did change, and as a result, as she indicated, there was a major split in the Lutheran Church over this, which, by the way, has now become pro-homosexual, pro-choice, and obviously has a problem with the inerrancy of Scripture as well. So again, my heart goes out to her because there's clearly a struggle that's going on. So she's applauding the fact that the Word was there, and the Word wasn't going to change, and she knew the Word told her that God has called her to something greater than her choice, and then the other option was the church had to change. And I give you why churches are collapsing around us. You move away from sound doctrine and the walls begin to fall. This is also about worldview, by the way. This is a woman who has worn vestments over her robes that have the pink color of Planned Parenthood and Planned Parenthood's logo on it. Not quite sure that that's something you'd be strutting about in the house of God, but this is part of your worldview. But I, I underscore this because there's a continuum here. If this is your worldview, then you begin to take out an ice pick and chip away at the parts of Scripture that are yikes or Paul is a jerk. And there is a continuum here that we have to see. It isn't just, it doesn't come ex nihilo. It comes from this incremental mission creep of moving away from the immutable, immovable, transcendent, utterly, totally, globally applicable Word of God, who, yes, does have stuff to say about human sexuality relegated only to the constant, the institution of marriage, which God defined and instituted, and a marriage is defined as a man and a woman. All other sexual expressions out of that are sin. I didn't say it. God's word says it over and over and over again. And then it gets, and look, we have to pray for her. We have to pray for people 
who are in some crisis, but I would pray that that crisis would lead them to a decision. Mm -hmm. Now, she said, oh, God answered my decision. Well, no, I don't think God did. I say that only because it's not my opinion. It's, it's what God has already said over and over and over again. But sound doctrine is so important because it's the guardrails within which we realize God operates. He has expressed to us what truth is on a variety of subjects, including sexuality. Um, but we can pray for her, but we can oppose the movement in, outside the church like this to destroy the church. I mean, that, that's not an either or. We're going to take a break and come right back. We've got more audio to share with you. This is In the Market with Janet Parshall. Back after this. So again, we're good students of the word and we apply it to the world around us. And we are told that before Jesus returns, we're going to experience a kind of quickening, by the way. Those labor pains are going to become shorter and shorter. The distance between them is going to get smaller and smaller. And I think every single one of us senses in our heart of hearts that Aslan's on the move. Unless you're a sleepy saint, you have to believe that Aslan's on the move. So we're going to see more and more heretical things being taught from, quote, the pulpit. You're going to see more apostasy being marketed in the marketplace of ideas. So let me turn now to a pastor who has the name of Hank, and he is with St. Barnabas Episcopal Church. Now, he puts on, again, the cleric's robes, and he gives an address. But one wonders why he would even stay in this vocation as a pastor, as evidenced by the things you are going to hear him say. Have a listen. Sometimes our stories try to express a very deep inner experience. Sort of like our definition of a sacrament, words are outward signs. They're not always visible. If they're written, they can be, but at least verbally, you know, we hear them, uh, of an inward spiritual reality. The words are not the experience. They are step two. The music, for example, or lyrics are step two. Think, for example, of the biblical story of Moses meeting God in the burning bush. Not literal, not material. He didn't actually do it. It didn't actually happen. But what a heck of a poetic description of a real experience of getting burned by God. Ask yourself, what would happen if you lost your story? Or, phrase it a different way, if it doesn't work anymore, which is what I suggest is happening to the church. The story isn't working anymore. What are some other grand mythologies or stories that we live by? And if you don't think you, uh, they're really a story to you, then check your reaction as I go through some of them and ask yourself, what would happen if you lost this story or if it didn't work anymore? Maybe it's already not working. I don't know. So the biggie, since we're sitting in a location like this, is religion, which is an ongoing mythology that we talk ourselves into believing. All numerous, our new religions all begin with someone's experience of God or the absolute. Remember, God is just a name that we have stuck on whatever the heck it is that the supreme being, or maybe it's not a supreme being, is. Some people call it the absolute. Pick your name. So you have an experience. Then you try to translate it and explain to somebody, this is who it is, what it is. That's where we get lost. In monotheism is not absolute reality. It's a story about God. 
that says, this is what we think God looks like, a single supreme being. It's the old patriarch up in the cloud image, right? Just a story, a metaphor. Because there are other stories and metaphors. If you haven't thought about that, you know, it's probably time all over the world. Our Bible is a library of stories written over several hundred years by multiple authors, most of which could be prefaced with once upon a time for a proper sense of context. Other religions have other scriptures. Theology is abstract stories. Theology is really mostly left brain spin. It's not absolute inward reality. The brain just sort of takes off and you know, says, oh, I wonder if it's this, and says, yeah, all right, I think we'll do that. And then other people start believing it. Examples, these are all three related. Original sin, Jesus as the only son of God, exclusively, and atonement theology. All abstract left brain spin. Well, so says Pastor Hank of the St. Barnabas Episcopal Church. So now, I wasn't being sarcastic, but why would you want to get up in the morning and go to your job if you don't believe it? And he clearly doesn't. Uh, there it was a tinge of sarcasm in his delivery. I, thought, I, I know he thought he was being thought-provoking, but he was really revealing to the people, I've lost my way. I don't know why I'm here, and I certainly don't believe this anymore. And perhaps I can convert you to the crowd of non-believers. And so Jesus and the Bible uh, and atonement theology are all mythology. And the Bible is nothing more than a library of stories. And theology is nothing but left-brain action. And monotheism is a story, a metaphor for that patriarchal thing in the sky. And religion is nothing but ongoing mythology. Clearly, this man is miserable at his job. It also says why, and the press uses this term, I'm loath to use it, quote, mainline theology, of which the Episcopal Church would historically be identified as such. It's why people are leaving in droves. Why would you get your Sunday best on, go to church, and then hear that? Not only is the glass half empty, you can't even find the glass. It's a waste of time. Your thoughts, please. Um, well, when you hear someone like that um, who is talking about theology but then denigrating Christian theology at the same time. Uh, why would they be a person who spending their time? I think he, he is more inclined to the agnostic room of the philosophy department <clears throat> than the theology department in a Christian seminary. But I think it's, it's a great educational tool, Janet. I love the audio that you bring to your program, particularly on Fridays, for us to discuss. Because a couple things need to be unpacked to show you um, really how shallow this approach is. But it's being spouted, it's being taught, it's being written about. In other words, the, the, the surveys of people now who used to say, well, I go to a Christian church, I really didn't believe that stuff, but I go there. Now I'm part of the nuns, none of the above. I'm not part of any organized religion, but there's a, a vague sense of spirituality that I kind of cling to, but uh, I'm going to find my own way, be my own philosopher king, and lead my own life. Uh, let me talk about myths just for a second. 1 Timothy 4, 7. New Testament, Apostle Paul says, avoid myths. We're not about myths. He says, everything we say is a myth. No, no, we're running from myths. How many times, and I would challenge your listeners to look up the word eyewitness, the use of the phrase eyewitness in your concordance, and find how many times it's mentioned in the New Testament when the disciples of Christ, his apostles, those that wrote the gospels and the letters of Paul and Peter, 
How many times they said we were eyewitnesses to what we're writing? A myth? Or is the myth those that want to be gods to themselves, like unfortunate and very sad Hank? Hank, we pray for you that you'll come to see that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And for all who are listening to this very sad conversation, and ultimately it is very sad, the antidote is the Word of God. I know that sounds Sunday schoolish. I know it sounds arcane and old-fashioned. But again, it's like someone, and you've heard this a million times, it's like somebody who works at the U.S. Treasury who can tell you instantly whether or not a dollar bill in his hand is the real deal or it's a counterfeit. You will not be able to identify counterfeit ideas unless you've been immersed in the reality of the Word of God, which is true from Genesis to Revelation. Hope we've caused you to think. We do this for another hour. Hope you can stick around. If not, have a great weekend.